Welcome to the HCC Podcast. Our mission is to nurture love for God, love for self, and love for others as the highest goal of humanity. May the following message nurture that love in your life. And remember, you're always welcome at HCC. It's a perfect church for less than perfect people. Peace. We are getting ready to move into this series that I really, not a series, but it's a, today we're going to talk about contentment in crisis. And so when we find ourselves in crisis, those are the times when contentment is most vulnerable, when we're surprised by crisis. And so what we want to do right now is we want to affirm, we want to remind ourselves of what we've been reminding ourselves all year long. Every Sunday, we've been reminding ourselves that this is our process. We are doing this. And every Sunday, week after week after week after week, I've been inviting you into this space where you confess these things, and hopefully somehow you take this language or your own, and in your own words into your life. And so would you stand with me right now, and let's confess this to the Lord as we open ourselves to God's Word. Come on, let's say it together. We've been doing it for a good while now. God, I choose to slow my breath and relinquish my worries. I open my hands to pray. Come, Holy Spirit, to my mind. I receive your comfort. Come, Holy Spirit, to my heart. I receive your peace. Come, Holy Spirit, to my soul. I receive the Father's love for me. I am here to receive what you have for me today. And come on, let's shout it out. What's the secret? Come on. Contentment is Christ. No doubt. Let's say this before we sit down. Annual memory verse. We've got to commit this to our memory. This is our main discipline for the year. Let's say it together. For I have learned to be content with whatever I have. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through Christ who gives me strength. Let's give the Lord thanks for that. God bless you. You can be seated. Yes, I can do all this through Christ who gives me strength. I, I don't know how else to say it. I, I, I've, I'm saying it over and over again and in different ways because I still see kind of that doggy head tilt no, 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 when I say it. But this reality... This kingdom of God reality of transcendent contentment is truly available to you. In the scriptures, we have verses in the book of James like, Elijah was a human being just like you and I are a human being. And we would say, uh, that's ridiculous. Uh, that must be the only error in scripture. How can Elijah be like me and me be like Elijah? That's not possible. You know, the scripture would also say to us, Paul was a human being, just like you and me. And we might say, how can we possibly live transcendent lives of contentment where no matter what comes into our life, whether hungry or well-fed, no matter tired or well-rested, no matter having a lot or a little, somehow we have a contentment that cuts all the way through it? How is that possible? Because we've been raised in the kingdom of the world to believe it's not possible. 
The kingdom of the world has indoctrinated us, programmed us, raised us up to believe that's an interesting religious platitude, but it's not truly possible. Only maybe monks in some far off and distant monastery will be possible to maintain or attain this level of contentment. And I'm telling you, it is everyone's present reality in the kingdom of God. It can be. We're talking about contentment in crisis and walking through a bit of Job's story as a case study. So let's move into this sense that contentment is easy when life is predictable. Would you, are you with me on that? You know, yes, uh, contentment is easy when life is predictable. That resonates with me. I love predictability. I love order. Even people who love spontaneity can only take so much of it before they're unnerved. And interestingly, I'm a pretty predictable person, but when I operate in an unpredictable manner, it throws all the spontaneous people off. And they get all weirded out by it because it surprises them. Well, we like predictability. Contentment is easy when life is predictable, but contentment is hard when you're blindsided. Job is this story of, of incredible blindsiding. Job is a, is a person of incredible prosperity, respect all in the community. Job is recognized by Scripture as perhaps the holiest person that has ever lived, is on the planet right now. I mean, we're talking not just about a holy person, but a very rich person, a very prosperous person, looks like respected, popular a, you know, a person that everybody looks to as an example of how life should be. This is Job. And no wonder everyone would want to somehow get in the vein, get in the flow of, of Job. I want to live like Job. I want to be like Job. Why? So I can have a life like Job. It makes sense. And then all of a sudden, out of left field, out of the total blue, comes a cascade of suffering that is of biblical proportions, where he loses his family, he loses his wealth, he loses his health. I mean, in one fell swoop, in just a few moments, it seems, as you're reading through the passage, you almost can't take it as it mounts up and mounts up and piles on. How much can a person take? They've lost all their children. They've lost all their uh, income, their sources, their supply. They've lost all their respect now. They've lost all their health. Everything is in question when nothing was in question a day before. Now everything's in question. This is the story of Job. And this is how we walk through this biblical epic and recognizing that there are basically three things that we can survey Job and pull from it when we ourselves find an unpredictable thing surprise us, an unpredictable suffering, a change, an upending, out-of-the-blue experience. We didn't expect this, a revelation, if you will. This is how Job experienced it, and basically three reactions to this crisis. So Job had a conditioned confession, a confused critique, and ultimately resolving and confident contentment. And this is a loose, rough outline as to how you can consider whenever something blindsides you, whenever something enters into your world that you're not expecting, you can, hopefully through your conditioning, confess 
a sense of anchorage in Christ. But then recognize that you are a human being and you are fallen and you are broken and you may have a season in that grief of confused critique. But the prayer, the intention of all the training is that the anchor would hold to the storm of confused critique and you would ultimately find yourself harboring, finding your peace and harboring in confident contentment. Let's look at Job's initial reaction, his conditioned confession. Job, in chapter 1, after this cascade falls upon him, Job stood up, tore his robe in grief, and then shaved his head and fell to the ground in worship. Now that's exactly what you do, right? Like when the mechanic comes to you and says, yeah, yeah, it's your transmission. It's going to be $1,800. You immediately fall to the floor, pull your razor out, shave your head, right? Well, you would say that's, that's a little, little much. It's a little extreme. But this is actually training. Because Job and Job's ancient Near Eastern people responded to tragedy and grief like this. Particularly those in that Judea, Judaistic type of mindset. Those that followed Jehovah. They were in the habit of when grief comes their way like this, they often respond in this dramatic, extreme way to signify that what's going on here is intense and real and powerful. They are not denying it. They're not pretending it didn't happen. They are truly physically expressing what they're feeling inside. But yet, look what happens. He falls to the ground to worship, not to complain, not to whine, not to beat his fist on the ground. That may come a little bit later, but not right now. Initial reaction is a conditioned confession. It's born out of training. Job has trained himself through a Jewish understanding of grief and tragedy to recognize that you respond physically like this, you might fall in a heap on the floor. You might lay on your bed and pound your pillow. It's the same thing. But the training that Job was engaging in at this point that brought him to this extreme expression of grief was rooted or anchored in his faith in Jehovah God. He said, I came naked from my mother's womb and I will be naked when I leave. The Lord gave me what I had and the Lord has taken it away from me. Anybody remember that passage of scripture and that song that we sing? The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. This is Job just simply recognizing that. Praise the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin by blaming God. His initial reaction is a conditioned confession born out of his training with his God. But then he moves into this middle phase, this middle phase of reaction to crisis. And all of us move through this, all of us get into this. It's a confused critique where friends are coming in, quote, friends or supporters are coming in and saying, well, what about this? You know what a lot of people try to do? They try to fix it for you. They just want to fix it. They just want to come in and say, well, do, do this, just do this. Or if you just say this, or just pray this prayer, or you'll just you know, fast this long, or whatever, everything will be fixed. You know, they come in and they start talking to you like that. And, and in the middle of all of that influence, Job is confused. And he begins to critique. And he says these things in Job 3 and Job 9 and a variety of other, of other places. But these sum it up. Why is life given to those with no future? He truly was believing that he had no future. He, he had lost some hope here. 
It, it was a dare for him to hope, like, like Jeremiah talks about in Lamentations 3. It would be a dare for him to hope after losing all of this. Those God has surrounded with difficulties. Does it sound like he's blaming? He wasn't blaming God, but now he's kind of wondering. Am I blaming God? Has God put this on me? Is this happening because of God? Is he punishing me for some reason? Job 9, I am innocent, but it makes no difference to me. I despise my life. You ever been there? You ever felt that deepness, that grinding? I despise my life. If someone, wonder who that would be. If someone, could you say Job? <laughs> if someone wanted to take God to court, and Job wanted to take God to court, Anybody ever wanted to take God to court? Would it be possible to answer him even once in a thousand times? So who am I that I should try to answer God or even reason with him? God is unreasonable. How could I reason with God? Job in the middle falls into a sense of confused critique, and often we find ourselves there. That doesn't mean he's lost the anchor. It doesn't mean he's not still anchored in his faith. It means he's being battered by the winds and waves of the storm, and he's struggling. God knows that. But the final reaction to crisis is that he actually, Job doesn't take God to court. God takes Job to court. In the very end of Job, God takes Job to court, and he starts talking to him and prosecuting his case with regard to Job. And in Job 42, after it's all said and done and God rests his case, Job finally said, I have only heard about you before, but now I have seen you with my own eyes. My prayer for you is that in the midst of any storm, any trouble, any problem, any confusion, any crisis and chaos that comes into your world, that enters into your world out of nowhere, throws you off balance, that you would recognize your anchoring, that your response in grief, that conditioned confession of your trust in God will anchor you through the confused critique and ultimately lead you into the harbor of confident contentment. And, and he says, I take back everything I said, God. I don't know about you, but I've had to go to God that way. I, I take it all back. I know I said some things, God, in my confused critique, but I take it all back. The, you, you are there. I trust you. Even facing death, look at that. Even facing death, I will trust you. Even facing a hardship in paying a BG&E bill, even facing a broken down car, even facing a diagnosis from a doctor of diabetes, even facing a wayward child, I will trust you. This is his confident contentment. Yes, conditioned confession anchors us through confused critique and ultimately the storm will be quieted and you will find yourself in confident contentment. Contentment in Christ feels different than contentment in the world. You have to know that. Because contentment in the world feels like happiness, born of comfort. When I'm, you know, people will often say, are you happy? Well, I immediately check in as to whether or not I'm comfortable. And that helps me to feel happy. If I'm, if I'm comfortable and things are convenient for me, I'm happy. 
Yesterday, after we had finished a kind of a long day at church, Ladonna and I went back home, and I, I got in the recliner. You know what happens in a recliner? Yeah, 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 you, you sleep. And so as I started to fade, I looked over at Ladon, who was in the same position. And, and I said, hey, would you go get me? <laughs> I was not happy because I was not comfortable. You know, often in the contentment in the world feels like happiness, born of contentment. But contentment in the kingdom of God feels like trust, born of confidence. Have you been there before? Do you know that God loves you? That in spite of whatever you're feeling right now, it doesn't mean that your contentment is gone? We often think that if we're not happy, we're not content. Believe you me, you can be very, very unhappy, but incredibly rock solid in contentment. Feeling contentment in the world, secular, is dependent on circumstances. It is unstable and easily dethroned by competing feelings like anger, hurt, sadness, and fear. We tend to think that if we're angry, we're not content. We tend to think that if we're fearful, we're not content. We tend to think that if we're sad, we're not content. Not accurate. That's kingdom of the world raising. Kingdom of God raising is that feeling contentment in Christ, sacred with God, is independent of circumstances, independent of feelings, stable and securely enthroned in spite of competing feelings like anger, hurt, sadness, fear. Yes, you can feel all of those things, but at the base, be incredibly content. The way that I've learned to live this in my life is to recognize that contentment is the bedrock. It's the foundation of who I am, of what my faith in Christ is. It is that sense of contentment. But yet there are always overlays. There are always overlays. Overlays of disappointment, overlays of anger. But they wash over that rock of contentment. They may be turbulent in my life for a while, but that doesn't, do, that doesn't affect the rock, the foundation of my life. I am firmly founded on a sense of that contentment is Christ. And as long as I am anchored in Christ, I am content. While I'm very angry. While I'm feeling very compassionate. While I'm, I'm feeling incredibly happy, while I'm feeling very, very sad, contentment is the foundation, is the rock. Let's look at Jesus Christ, and let's look at an example from the life of Jesus and recognize that, is it possible for Jesus, the, quote, Prince of Peace, to actually be the Prince of Peace in this kind of scenario? John 11. When Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him. And he was deeply troubled. Where have you put him? He asked them. They told him, Lord, come and see. Then Jesus wept. The people were standing nearby. See how much he loved him? But some said, this man healed a blind man. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? Jesus was still angry as he arrived at the tomb. He was flowing in and out of anger and sadness and terrible grief and frustration and irritation and all of that. Anybody ever had a day like that? But nothing in him. 
He, he is the rock upon which the church is built. But how can he be when he's given to all these feelings? These are simply waves washing over the rock. Nothing has changed in him. He is the Prince of Peace. He is the Rock of Gibraltar. In spite of any of these things, he's inviting you into the same life where you can be deeply angry, where you can be deeply troubled, where you can weep, when you can grieve, when you can be still angry, but yet at the base of it, what, what motivates, what guides, what stabilizes all of your life is contentment in Christ. Look at this, Mark chapter 11, you remember this. Immediately on entering the temple, Jesus made a whip. When, when you walk in the house as a parent and you go straight to the drawer and pull the spatula out, your kids likely know what's going on. You know, whatever it is, I've seen fathers grab that belt, you know, and start to pull that belt off. You know, you know what, I'm going to get a switch. <laughs> this is Jesus walking in and get, making a whip, and he started chasing. Can you see Jesus chasing, throwing out people like a bouncer? Everyone had set up shop there, buying and selling. He kicked over tables of the bankers. Wasn't he worried about liability? Didn't they know he could be sued? And, and the stalls and the pigeon merchants, he did all of this. Do you think Jesus lost one ounce of peace? Do you think he was completely undone? Did he need to be institutionalized for a moment, go on Prozac? or What did he need to do? You know, so I mean, Jesus is dealing with deep anger, deeply troubled, still angry, weeping, grief. But yet, at base, the very foundation, he is Prince of Peace. He is Rock of Gibraltar. So in chaos and confusion, when you, when you walk in someplace and it blindsides you and you've got a revelation or somebody says something to you or blindsides you, can you be angry and sin not? Can you be anxious and sin not? Can you be disappointed and sin not? Can you be saddened and sin not? Why? Because your contentment is Christ. Your contentment is not any of those circumstances or feelings you might be engaging in. You have a deeper anchor. Your anchor goes deeper than them. Contentment in Christ is not the absence of negative feelings. Contentment in Christ is the authority over negative feelings. Contentment in Christ is not the absence of negative feelings. Contentment in Christ is the authority over negative feelings. I love this passage. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise. Like a person who builds a house on a solid rock. That's what we've been talking about. Through the rain, though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. Now, is it possible for you to, to lose siding in the storm? Yes. Is it possible for you to have the roof blown off? Yes. Is it possible for you to be left standing in the middle of a burned down life? Yes, just like Job. Yes. But you won't be moved. You don't have to be moved. If you're focusing on the wind and the rain and the torrents and the storms and the floods, you will be moved. But if you're focused on Christ, if your contentment is Christ, you will be on the rock. The anchor holds. Remember that song? The anchor holds. I bet you Pastor Bowman could stand up and sing it right now. 
I won't ask them because I didn't ask them previously. But, but think about the, the lyrics. I have journeyed through the long dark night, out on the open sea, by faith alone, sight unknown, and yet his eyes were watching me. I've had visions, and I've had dreams, and I've even held them in my hand, but I never knew they would slip right through like they were only grains of sand. I have been young, but I am older now, and there has been beauty in these eyes that these eyes have seen, but it was in the night through the storms of my life. That's where God's proved his love for me. The anchor holds, though the ship is battered, the anchor holds, though the sails are torn, I have fallen on my knees as I face the raging seas, yet the anchor holds in spite of the storm. Do you believe that? Are you confident in that? Even in your confused critique, can you trust in that? This is the reality that our annual memory verse provides for you. That you can, you truly can do all of this through Christ who gives you strength. Would you stand with me? We're going to take a few moments here and just allow this to sink in. We're just going to allow it to sink in. We're going to ask God to give us a sense of His presence. We're going to sing these words, listen to this song. We are going to participate in worship. There's going to be people that are available. Denise is over here to my right. She's happy to pray with you pray for you. Zach is going to be over here to my left. If you'd like to come up and spend time praying, ask for them to help you pray for deliverance, you can. They will do that with you. They will join you in that process. If you want to take time to come to the altar, find a place of kneeling, find a place of quiet and peace, to just pour your heart out to God, you can. If you want to do that right where you are, lift your hands, you can. This is response time. Folks at home, you that are watching, come on. It's time now for you to truly turn up the volume, turn around and kneel down wherever you are, and just invite the presence of the Holy Spirit to sink in to recognize that contentment is Christ. Even through the confusion, even through the chaos, even through all of the conflict, contentment is Christ.